his property. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To, an, uh, to another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather uh, where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was uh, my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Our Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, and uh, we pray that you would open it to us now. Apply these words uh, to our lives by your spirit. You know each one of us intimately. You know the things that we need to hear. You know the places we need to be challenged. You know the places we need to be comforted. So uh, come and guide us now as we give our minds to your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we are in the middle of what's called the Olivet Discourse, which is Jesus' kind of final sermon. He has five sermons in this, uh, the book of Matthew. This is his final one. It's kind of his apocalyptic, uh, prophetic discourse on the second coming and final judgment. And... Uh, and yet, uh, in this parable that we just read, in you know, an apocalyptic discourse, we have a parable that's actually immensely practical. And in fact, this morning, we're going to be talking about the very practical topic of personal productivity. And you, know, you might think these are kind of odd things going together, like grand ideas of Jesus' second coming, and then you know, mundane ideas about how do, you know, what things should I do, you know, how do I get things done with my life, and how do I live a productive life. And, but, you know, the Bible often combines such grand things with such mundane things, you know, that um, the, the small things that we do with our life, the small words that we speak to people are of eternal significance. And, um, and so I want to tell you why I think personal productivity is actually an important topic for us. Because, you know, for many of us, when we think about uh, becoming a Christian, you know, when we were saved, God rescued us. We think the main reason that God saved us was so that we could go to heaven when we die. We could be with him. 
And of course, you know, that's a you know, treasured promise of the gospel of eternal life. But God actually has bigger plans for us than that, that he actually intends to make us like him. And one of the things, you know, basic things about who God is, is that God is a creator. He is this creative innovator, you know, this energetic, uh, working, purposeful being who makes beautiful things that, you know, work well. And he makes these purposes and he sees them to completion. And he makes plans and he does his plans. And all the things, this is what the God of the Bible is like. And when we come to know him, when we are saved, we will become like him. And that means that the practical topic of productivity, which means doing our work well in our families, in the church, in our vocations, in our workplace, Productivity is an essential part of our spiritual life. And, you know, many of you may not have ever thought of that, that learning to do your vocation, your work, whatever your job is, well, is actually an important spiritual task. Now, before we get started in talking about productivity, I want to, you know, um, uh, head off one thing from the outset. Because for many of you, when you hear the word productivity, the thing that comes in your mind is learning to be more efficient with your time. And efficiency is about doing more work in less amount of time. So when you hear productivity, it's really about filling your life with more work. You know, I can do it more quickly so I can do more work. But that's actually, that's not what productivity is about. That's not what God cares about, is filling our life with work. What God cares about is that our lives are fruitful. Which means his priority is not that we are efficient, but that we are effective with what we do. He wants us to make a difference in the world. He wants us to transform the world. And so productivity is about doing the right kinds of things well in our family, in the church, in our community, in our work. And knowing the right things to do and doing them well is an essential part of being a Christian. Have you ever thought of that? Knowing the right things to do and doing them well is an essential part of being a Christian. Well, this morning... uh, we're going to learn what the Bible has to teach us about productivity, practical sermon, and in particular, three things from this passage. And this is what they are. That productivity is about God's goods, God's goals, and God's gospel. God's goods, God's goals, and God's gospel. Those three things, things that we must think through as Christians. So, um, uh, so we're going to uh, look at them uh, uh, together now. And, you know, I should say, I know that for some of you, when you hear, you know, saw the, the sermons on productivity, I know some of you read productivity books, and, you know, like how to, you know, get my stuff done, and you love, like, organizing your table, you know, your desk and everything, you know, systems and stuff like that. Some of you are so excited, like, wow, sermon, you know, and some of you are like, oh, my goodness, I'm just going to flip off, like, productivity. But um, I think there's a lot for us to learn in this passage. So, um, so it's, it's something that's interested me, even though it's not a natural thing for me. So, so first thing, productivity is about God's goods. Now this parable begins, look at verse 14, what Jesus says. It says about the kingdom that it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now this parable is describing a scenario that absolutely could have happened in the ancient world. You know, if you had a king or ruler in Palestine in the first century, like Herod or Agrippa, who 
wanted to travel to Rome, travel was slow. And so if a ruler was going to leave, you know, his kingdom, he would have to appoint nobles or servants who were going to oversee, you know, governing his kingdom while he was gone. He might be gone for years. And he would have to give them resources to enable them to, you know, to do the work of governing his, his kingdom. And when he came back, he would have expected that he, they had been responsible with his resources. And he'd been, you know, what did you do with the money I left you with? What did you, know, what did you build? What did you, you know, what did you invest in? You know, how is my kingdom better now since I left it with you? And Jesus invites us to see ourselves in that situation. He says that um, our lives as Christians, we are servants or stewards of his resources. Jesus, in his resurrection, has been given all authority over heaven and earth, and he has gone away for a time, and he will return expecting that we have been productive with what he has entrusted to us. And so understanding that productivity is about God's goods. It's not about our goods. It's about him entrusting to to us his resources, the things that are his. When we understand that, it opens our eyes to a couple of things. That first of all, God has given us everything that we have. Everything about you, everything about your life, everything you have, you know, your personality. You know, many of you are good at strange, different things, you know, radically different things. Those abilities, those are things that belong to God. They're not yours. Your wealth, all of your money, your possessions, your house, your car, your clothes, your food, your refrigerator, everything you have, it actually belongs to God and he's entrusted it to you. All the opportunities that you've had in life, the education that you received, that is, belongs to God and it's been entrusted to you. The relationships that you have, the networks that you have, you know, the connections that you have with people in the community, all of those things are God's and he has entrusted them to you. And they belong to him. Now, this parable, understanding that, that everything I have belongs to God, totally reorients how you see your whole life. I mean, just imagine seeing that. Nothing I have is mine. It's something that's been, it are resources that God has entrusted to me to be productive with. And it's not that my life is about getting the most out of my life for myself, but it's about being a faithful steward of what God's given to me. And as C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he gets us to think this way. This is what he says. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking, or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. He says, every movement you do, every breath you take, all of these things are intentional gifts from God to you. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. So that when we talk of a man doing anything for God or giving anything to God, I'll tell you what it's really like. It's like a small child going to his father and saying, Daddy... Give me six pence to buy you a birthday present. Of course, the father does, and he's pleased with the child's presence. It's all very nice and proper, but only an idiot would think that the father is six pence to the good on the transaction. When a man has made these two discoveries, God can really get to work. It is after this that life really begins. C.S. Lewis says, our life begins when we realize that nothing I have belongs to me. It all belongs to God. And it has been entrusted to me as his steward. Huge realization. But the second thing this opens our eyes to is not just that God gives, gives us everything we have, but also that God has given us according to our ability. 
God does not deal with us all the same. He doesn't entrust us with the same things or the same amounts. You, maybe you caught that there in verse 15, where he gave to his servants each according to his ability. He gave the one, one got five talents, one got two talents, one got one talent. Which is to say that all of us have different size plates of you know, the resources that we can manage and that we can handle well. And God knows us. And he's careful with what he entrusts to us and also what he expects of us. And so it's important that we not only understand that I have this, all these things have been entrusted to me by God, but also that there's limits to what I can do and be productive with. There's only a certain amount that he's entrusted to me. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this this week. This, this week, Daniel and I, and I were down at Presbytery, down in Tacoma, where it's a regional gathering of, uh, of pastors. And uh, last night, I was sitting on the porch with uh, my wife, Shannon, and I was informing her that there was an advisory committee for the church planning network that I had volunteered to serve on. <laughs> and uh, Shannon said, um, can I share an illustration with you? <laughs> and this was her illustration. She said, you know, when I buy a new shirt, um, my closet is filled with shirts. And so one of the things I have to do is I have to take one of the old shirts and either give it away or throw it away or something to make room for the new shirt. Okay, you just can't cram more shirts in there, you know? And so let me just ask you, which shirt are you planning to throw away when you put this new committee into your life? And uh, I was thinking, well, you know, can't we remodel the closet, you know, make it bigger and put more shirts in there? Um, and, uh, but what, you know, what she's getting at is, is really here is, is not only that everything I have has been entrusted to me, but God has entrusted me a limited amount according to our ability, and there's limits to our ability. And when we, um, and you know, one of the things, by the way, you know, God, the, the master gives to these servants, you know, five talents, two talents, one talent. And um, even, uh, you know, when we hear that word talent in English, that means your abilities and gifts. That's not what it meant in, in the biblical text. A talent was a sum of money. And it was 20 years wages. So five talents is 100 years wages. This is a huge fortune that was entrusted uh, to these servants. So even the servant who got only one talent had a huge dignity to their work. And so some of you might say, you know, I have a smaller plate of what God's entrusted to me. God sees that as actually a tremendous amount that's been entrusted to you. He really calls you to be responsible with something that's significant. And so when I realize these two things, everything I have has been entrusted to me by God, and also that, you know, I, I have limits. God's only entrusted me what I'm able to to kind of manage and, and, and uh, you know, he's limited my responsibilities based on my ability. This means that the work I do in this world must be focused. There's limits to what I can do, so I have to focus on what I'm going to do and make sure that the things that I'm doing with my life are the right things. And this leads to the second point is not only that productivity is about God's goods that have been entrusted to us, but second, that productivity is about God's goals. And since we have God's goods, if we're going to use them appropriately, we have to ask the question, what are God's goals for the goods that he's entrusted to me? And of course, as you read this passage, the master comes back to his servants, and what does he commend the two servants for who had done well? is that they were faithful. He says, well done, 
good and faithful servants. So we have to ask that question. What does faithfulness look like with what God has entrusted to us? What does faithfulness look like? Well, a couple of things I think we see in this passage. First of all, faithfulness is purposefulness. The faithful servants were purposeful about their life and their work, and, and, the, and you see this here, verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. As soon as he got the five talents, he was to work. He had plans, the things he was going to do. And he made five talents more. And so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. There was a purposefulness. He was going to make something of what had been entrusted to, to him, and he was determined to do so. What does it look like for us to be purposeful in our lives with what God has entrusted to us? Well, you know, I've actually, this may be the reason I'm doing this sermon. I've been reading a book on productivity. It's called What's Best Next. It's actually a Christian book on productivity, which usually when there's a Christian version of, you know, a secular book, it's usually worse than the secular book. This is an exception. This one's, this one's better. It's really, it's really quite good. And one of the things that he says to live a productive life he says you have to define the goals and the things that God is calling you to do. You have to define those things. And for most of you, when you hear me say that you have to def- God has defined certain thing- goals for you in your life, the first thing you hear is that means church work. You know, there's certain ministries that I'm supposed to do with my life. There's some way that I'm supposed to get involved with the church so I'm being productive for God. And, of course, I, I hope that. I hope that, you know, you're best skills would be used to build up this congregation and we'd work together as a community. But the most important good works that you will do in your life are very likely in your vocation, your work that you do throughout the week. That's the time where you're interacting with your neighbors. That's the time where you are actually serving your neighbor tangibly more than any other time in your life. And that's where you spend the most amount of time and so thinking about what has God called me to do in my work is a tremendously important question. And how do I do those things well? You know, if you're a computer programmer, writing elegant code that, you know, is fast or I don't know what makes good code. Good, I don't know much about computer programming. You know, whatever's good. You know, you are being not only, a, you know, serving your employer, you're serving your user and understanding that you are loving your neighbor as yourself in that code. And, you know, if other com- people are going to read the code well or interact or work with it well, then all of a sudden you're loving the people that you work with. Other people are going to, you know, or let's say you work with your hands. When you are good at what you do, I mean, how many of you, when you've had a handyman come and they do a really good job, it's an immense blessing to you. And if they do kind of a mediocre job and you have to go so- get someone else to fix it, it's a huge burden, you know, and you love when you find that guy and you tell your neighbors about him. I met this guy, he's, he does such a good job doing your wor- work excellently is one of the primary ways that you love your neighbor as yourself. You are glorifying God. Which means that as Christians, we have to think about doing our work with excellence. Our neighbors feel loved when our work is done excellently. And if we do a shoddy job on it, they don't feel loved by that. And so it, it is a part of our sanctification to learn to do our work well. How many of you think of that? Learning the skills of your work is a part of Christ being formed in you. It's a part of you learning to love your neighbor. And, uh, you know, I put a quote from you, C.S. Lewis again, in your, in your, on page three of your bulletin. And uh, C.S. Lewis, as m- many of you know, was probably the most famous 
uh, kind of lay eva- uh, evangelist theologian of the 20th century, wrote all kinds of Christian books. But uh, you may not know that Lewis was a first-rate scholar. Um, he was held the chair of medieval Renaissance literature at Cambridge University. He was known as the most well-read man in England in his day. He was very well-respected, extremely bright. And Lewis believed passionately that Christians are most valuable to the world when they do their vocations with excellence. And uh, he wrote a, um, a, uh, an essay called Good Works and Good Work. And I'm going to read to you the opening paragraph. I think this is, this is profound. This is what he says. Good works, in the plural, is an expression much more familiar to modern Christendom than good work. We know more about doing good works than good work. (laughs) Good works are chiefly almsgiving or helping in the parish. They are quite separate from one's work. And good works need not be good work, as anyone can see by inspecting some of the objects made to be sold at bazaars for charitable purposes. This is not according to our example. When our Lord provided a poor wedding party with an extra glass of wine all around, he was doing good works, but also good work. It was a wine really worth drinking. The idea of good work is not quite extinct among us, though it is not, I fear, especially characteristic of religious people. And so there is a purposefulness to say that God has given me certain things to do and I'm going to glorify him with those things and I'm going to do them well. And, um, you know, I should say, thinking about that purposefulness, knowing what the right things to do are and doing them well, I've mentioned this a few times, but you have to give some thought to that. You can't do everything. What are the things that God has called me to do that I'm going to now attempt to do well? And, you know, this is something that Shannon and I did just this last year for the first time. We went away for a night, and we actually wrote out some purpose statements for our, each of us individually and for our family. And then we wrote out some goals for the year. These are the things we're going to do. You know, we talked about the kids and sports. Is that a priority? And the church and, and ministries that we're involved in. And what really are those things? What can we do? What's, you know, what size plate do we have? And some of you, that would be a key step in really having a purposeful answer to that question. What are the right things for me to do and to do them well? And by the way, if you want to do that, you can email me and I'd give you some guidelines for how to go through that process, either as an individual or as if you're married, um, as a couple. But faithfulness looks like, in this passage, a purposefulness. The second thing is that also in this passage, faithfulness is also fruitfulness. And you see this verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also... Uh, who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Um, I think that there's no way getting around in this passage that 
being faithful looks like producing something. Um, being faithful does not look like doing a lot of work because you can do a lot of work and not produce anything. If you're doing the wrong things or doing the wrong work or you're not effective at your work, you can do a lot of work and not produce something. What faithfulness looks like is producing something, being fruitful. And uh, I should say that the unfaithful servant in, in this passage actually did do some work. He went and dug a hole to bury his talent in. That took some work and some sweat. He's obviously willing to be active at work, but he was not fruitful. He was not productive. He was not effective with what he was doing. Now, I'll tell you, in my line of work as a pastor, it's very common to say things like, it's important for a pastor to be faithful, but not you know, effective or successful. And I strongly sympathize with the sentiment of that. You know, if you're thinking about a pastor, you know, being successful and making a name for yourself or making a lot of money or something like that, of course there's real, there can be real evil in that. But that can also be an excuse to say I'm just plodding along actively, but I'm not actually learning to be effective. And I think a part of being faithful means that I at least have a desire and I'm trying to learn to be effective at whatever I do. Now, of course, that may not always turn into, as a pastor, you know, lots of people coming. I'll give you an example. There's a, a, a biography I read uh, many years ago uh, about a missionary named John Payton, who was a Scottish missionary in the 19th century to the, the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. And he went to this um, island of cannibals, and he spent, I, I think, he, I, I don't know, but he spent years on this island. His whole family died. And in the years he was there, he didn't have one convert. And, you know, multiple times the, 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 uh, the cannibals on the island surrounded him and said, you know, thanks for everything, but it's time now for us to eat you. And he would say, and actually his response was like, you know, that's fine. You can eat me. You know, if you eat me, I go to be with the Lord. But just know that you're eating your best friend. I've been here to love you and to serve you. And he left that island with nothing. And you think, you know, when he stands before the Lord, what is the Lord going to say to him? He didn't bury his talent. He, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But also, you know what happened to him? Even though he had years of struggle and, and discouragement, he went to another island where the whole island converted to Christianity. He started schools there, and you know, he taught these tribes to love one another. And I mean, he had an immense impact. And actually, on that island of cannibals where he had no fruit, there was the next group of missionaries came, and they had all kinds of fruit there. And so the Lord is wise in these things about, you know, how he judges us, but our intention should be that I want to learn to be effective. My desire is fruit. My desire is not just running, you know, running through the motions. And that should be a part of our sanctification as Christians. Now, based on what I've said so far, you're very close to say, you know, it sounds like you're saying God will love us if we're productive. Not only that we work for his love, but we have good work for his love. And now I really have to prove myself with him about how effective I am in my work. And of course, that leads to the third thing that we need uh, to learn from this passage. is not only that productivity is about God's goods, the things, uh, everything we have has been entrusted to us by him, about God's goals, thinking about what are the right things that God has called me to do with my life and striving to do them well, but also God's gospel. And, you know, one of the things that I think is most fascinating about this parable is the way that the unfaithful servant describes the master. Some of you probably picked that up in verse 24. 
This is what he says. And also he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. It's an amazing statement. The, the unproductive servant has a view of the master, has a view of God that he is harsh, that he's unloving. And because of that, that caused him to be fearful and he hid his talent in the ground. And so the question is, the faithful servants who, you know, went out and they were productive and they were risking and they were courageous and, you know, they were investing this money and they were trading and they had this, you know, this amazing return. What was the thing that was sending them out into the world? Well, this is what I think. Follow me with this. This is what, look at verse 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. Jesus says that the faithful servants had some of their reward even before the, the master came back. The faithful servants had some of their reward while they were doing the work. What was the reward? Verse 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. It is the joy of the master that actually sends us out into the world. Not fearful, not worrying, are we going to let down the master? It's because of who Christ is. And actually, you know, many commentators say, you know, the talents in this passage, the talents aren't your abilities or your money or your opportunities or your education or your relationships or skills. That's not what the talents are. The talents are Christ. Christ is the treasure that God has given to us while we are here. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Christ is the one who bears fruit in us and is productive in the midst of our weakness. And so it's those who have the joy of the gospel in them that are actually productive. And this is the paradox of it. It's those who know that Christ has finished the work for them are the ones that have the courage to go out in the world not fearful of their master and creatively and energetically dreaming about what God is going to do in the world. And so it's the gospel that is the most essential piece to us as Christians, not just here in the church, but also in our work, going out imaginatively, creatively, excellently, effectively, and persistently serving the Lord and loving our neighbors and bringing glory to God through our work. This is what God is calling us to do with everything that he has entrusted to us. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we uh, thank you for the great calling that you have given to us uh, to serve you in this world and for the many treasures you have entrusted to us. We pray that you would turn our minds uh, to view our life and to view the world that way that we are stewards of th all, everything we have belongs to you. I pray that you would teach us what the right things for us to do are, what the right things in our families, in our communities, in the church, in our workplace are for us to focus on, that we can love our neighbors and bring glory to your name. I do this by the work of your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.